0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 55 of the Stomp the Bus show. I'm your host, Mark Harris, coming at you solo for this episode. Before we get into it, please like and subscribe on YouTube, rate and review on your podcast app of choice. uh, That is apparently pretty helpful for uh, any level of show, but especially for uh, a small show like this one. All right, let's get into it. Um, You know, I think... Just just now Arizona State committed its ninth turnover against Fresno State. Uh probably another interception. <laughs> maybe another fumble. I don't know. Just if you're watching this, you know it happened. Just an awful, awful game. I mean, the worst ASU game I've ever seen. Oh, maybe. Hmm. I think the Eastern Michigan game actually is probably higher. Um now that I think about it just because the defense got absolutely torched, but this game was also I mean, it was awful, just absolutely awful. Eight turnovers, uh, (laughs) five interceptions thrown by your quarterbacks. Uh, That was not fun. Borgay obviously started the game in his first two series. Obviously the first series wasn't good because he threw an interception, but the second series, he was moving the ball down the field and then just, like, dropped the ball – uh, like, dropped the ball. I, I didn't get a good look at the play in the stands, but he dropped the ball, and as he was going to get it, he, like, twisted his ankle or something. And so now he's out for this game. But that brought in Drew Pine. And, I mean, if you want to blame one person for the loss on Saturday to Fresno State, you blame Drew Pine. Um, I mean, he had four turnovers. There's no – like – and I get, like, people are saying, oh, you know, he – he's rusty because he hasn't played and dude, you are a division one quarterback, a former four-star recruit. You can't just fumble the ball every time you get hit. And that's what happened. The first, uh, the second, <laughs> second and third turnovers of this game, Drew Pine sacked, lost of five yards, fumbled. Next series, Drew Pine sacked, lost of 14 yards, fumbled. So there you go. Like that, put you down 13 to nothing like that. And even then, you know, you still had a chance later on in this game, but somehow it was only 16 to nothing at half, but just got worse in the second half. Drew Pine throws another interception. um, And you get Tevin White runs, fumbles, and then interception from – 20 years con uh, love that ESPN over love, love ESPN and then I don't know maybe I missed a fumble somewhere in there but it was a disaster this was a disastrous disastrous game Um, I don't blame a lot of this on Dillingham but I do I mean you're the head coach like if you lose 29 to nothing you, you take some of the blame at least 10 if they're 15 20 percent uh, I don't think it was like, oh, he had didn't have them ready to play. I don't, I don't know. I think there was just, I mean, if, when you have eight turnovers like that, there's some bad luck involved, but man, like, it's just this team. I mean, the offensive line injuries are just so evident. And to me where they stood out the most actually was when ASU got it close to the Fresno state end zone. And obviously they threw it on the last play and didn't get it, uh, they ran the ball like three times before that from like the three or four yard line. And they couldn't, they couldn't get any push at all. Like they were lucky to get a yard. And so it's, it's really like they're playing offense with one hand tied behind their back, but at the same time, it can't look like that. It can't. And so I'm happy that Dillingham is, you know, he's been calling plays of practice this week. I'm happy he's going to do it entering this game. You know, you just can't have a repeat of that. And, it's not like it's going to be the difference in in winning the USC game. Like that's not going to happen, but you need to just look like a, I don't know, competent. Maybe, maybe that's too much to ask for, but just like, you need to look like, like a college football team, I guess. like You can't just continue the, what we've seen for the last six quarters that cannot continue. Um, I don't think it will, but man, it was it's just tough it's just so the program just this is this feels like the nadir you know and i don't know i don't know if it really is rock bottom though you know that's the problem like i was talking to a friend in the stands like is this rock bottom like it's hard to say it's it's definitely rock bottom because usc is coming to town next week so Maybe the only difference is we we expected to lose to USC anyway, so a loss wouldn't hurt as bad. I think that's fair logic. But, you know, seeing your team just lose by double digits for the third straight game in a row, like that's not – you can rationalize it all you want, but it's still just tough to swallow. And with the injuries, I mean, it looks like there's some – you know, uh, Jalen Conyers is returning. Obviously, Drew Pine – Uh, had a muscle injury looks like that's not going to be super something that's super bad, but if it limits him even more, I mean, this is, this is what I was saying about, I think the one one thing Colton and I have been 100% right on so far. And look, we both picked, picked ASU to go six and six this year. Obviously that's not going to happen. But the one thing we were both right on last episode was calling out the people who wanted Rashada bench because clearly Rashada is not the problem. Clearly Dillingham made the right choice with who the starting quarterback is like, you know, we can, we can lust over, you know, Trenton Borgay's success. It's legitimate success that he had last year, but I think people remember the Washington game which he was incredible in that game. There's nothing to take away from him. I think people remember that game in the Colorado game and the territorial cup. I'll I'll give him credit. Even though there were turnovers in that game in the territorial cup as well. He moved the ball. Uh, Those were good games of his, but Colorado, I don't care that they beat Colorado. Like Like, that was a terrible team. Uh, And then against U of A, you still lose, but in the other games, It's not like he wasn't good against Oregon State or Washington State. And he put up good – he had a good second half against UCLA. But that game was also – like that was never in doubt for the Bruins. That that was a lot of garbage time stats. So I just – I think that's twisted people's view on Borgay. And, uh, you know, look, I say that. Like I would rather have Borgay being the starter versus USC than Pine. Right. Like, I'm not going to deny that at all, but I, you know, I'm sorry. Like Rashada was the right choice. Like Rashada, he hasn't been perfect. No, but you know, like we said, if Guillory catches that pass against Oklahoma state, it might've been a different game. So we can't, (laughs) we, you know, like with Rashada, you, at least the offense looks somewhat competent with everyone else. It's been just insane amounts of turnovers. So, (laughs) you know, like, Obviously, like if we played the Fresno State ASU game ten times, they wouldn't turn over eight times each game. But still, like it, they only play one game, and that's what happened. And so that's why I'm. I mean, no, of course, Rashad is now injured with an undisclosed injury for the whole rest of the. It's not. It's not the rest of the season. Four to six weeks, but feels like the rest of the season. Most of the rest of the season. And so they say they're going to redshirt him. I like that, just as long as you know he's coming back. Um, and who knows what on that front, man. Like, the NIL situation doesn't seem that good. The fan support is just at an all-time low. It feels like I'm going to get into some of the, you know, why – how Ace, you can fix this very quickly, but they don't uh, anyway. And then Pine, I mean, look, I mentioned Pine was absolutely terrible in that game. And like we said in the last episode, guess what? Pine isn't playing behind Notre Dame's offensive line anymore. So it showed, it really showed. Like this guy has, was not used to just like high levels of pressure, which I can't blame him. Like, don't get me wrong. I would fumble the ball a bunch of times in that situation too. But the difference is I haven't, you know, been a starting quarterback at Notre Dame in the past. Like, he needed to be better, like Conover, whatever, like he's the fourth string quarterback. Um, I mean, and we might see a good chunk of Conover for the rest of the season too. So, but Pine just has to be better. And he can't, he can't just fumble the ball when he gets hit that can't happen. Um, It's, it's just this bleak, man. Like it, you know, like we didn't know how this season was going to go entering the year. But the injuries have just been so catastrophic. I mean, to lose glass as left tackle and bully it right, just there you go. That's your two best offensive linemen gone off a unit that wasn't like the offensive line wasn't, you know, the high point of the team to begin with. So that's troubling. Um, Cade Briggs not playing. You have other guards not playing. It's just a, it's just a, you know, mishmash of guys up there. And that's, <laughs> it's not a recipe for success. Hopefully, you know, I, I don't, with Dillingham calling plays, you know, um uh, people might say it's a lot on his plate. It probably is, but it's, but it, you know, I'm glad that he's showing the, the willingness to change things up and not just be like, Oh, we're going to go with Bo Baldwin because that's what we brought him in for. And that's the plan. And we're not going to, we're not going to hit the panic button just yet. It's like, no, you should be slamming the panic button. Okay. Like there's, you know, Dylan, nobody expected this type of start. Okay. You may have expected them to go one and two to start, but to get, you know, shut out at home and lose by 29 points to Fresno, like, sorry, like, that's just like changes have to be made that there's no explaining that away. Like even with the eight turnovers and obviously that's not like a repeatable thing that's going to happen, but you know, it's not, I don't think they would have won the game if they only committed three turnovers, you know? So (laughs) the offense just, there's so much issues. And I hope that with Dillingham calling plays, it looks a little better, you know, like that's, that's how Dillingham became a head coach so young is because like, we can say that he's a good leader. We can say recruiting and all this, but like, it's because he can call plays. Like that's how we was so good at Oregon. So and developing players obviously as well so i but it's just you know it's funny i i got a text from colton uh before the game and it was a uh, a link to the oklahoma state south alabama game with south alabama leading by a lot I, they they went on to win that game 33 to 7 and that was like oh boy like i that doesn't nece- I, I remember thinking that doesn't necessarily mean ASU is in a bad spot this game but it's not a good sign if you you lost to a team that is now getting killed by another group of 5 team and the same result happened in temp b except ASU got shut out um man i could just i don't know what it was when i was just walking into that stadium on saturday night just there was just this sense of dread i was just like man like it's just something is it's not going to be good. And you knew the crowd wasn't going to be there. Um, which is fine. Like I, I think ASU fans should save the crowd consternation for when the team is at least like average, you know? Um, look, there's just, there's just a lot of rot in the fan base right now. And none of it has to do with Dillingham, it's all the, you know, Ray Anderson and Michael Crow, uh, And I'm going to get into some of that stuff later in this episode, but it's also, it doesn't help. Like, I mean, it can't be great if you're a coach on the ASU staff and you just see a half empty stadium and it's like, Oh, you know, we're going to the big 12 and it's going to be better soon and yada, yada, yada. It's like, you know, they don't like it though. I mean, you know, the coaches don't like it, but they also can't, I mean, they can't say anything like, sorry, like you guys, like you guys, first of all, you know, what you were coming into at ASU. Like, again, we're not in a small town, you know, where ASU is the absolute number one option. And when you combine that with the just deep, deep levels of mistrust fans have with the administration, the sports administration, and you add in a team that isn't that good, then this is what you get. And so uh, it's just it's just one big poop tornado, you know, <laughs> other than the defense, other than the defense, I, okay. So the first drive Fresno state goes right down the field and scores. That was a like, I that was just like a gut punch in the stadium. I was like, Oh man, just think they, they score right away. Like that sucks. But I mean, as you held them to one more touchdown, uh, it was their. It was Fresno's first drive of the third quarter, but other than that, it was all field goals. Eight turnovers and Fresno State scored 15 points off of those eight turnovers. I mean, the, I I thought the defense like they played really well, man. Like, and I think a lot of the ratings have them. Uh pretty highly regarded as well. I don't think it's, you know, relative. I think they were like 25th or like in the thirties and among one of the metrics that, you know, one of the college football sites that like ranks teams analytically, their defense ranked like pretty high relative to the rest of the country. And I mean, I can see it. Like they look the, the week before they held Fresno state to zero yards rushing in the first half this past week held Fresno state to 69 yards rushing. Now it's a little weight that that I hate how college football does that because they sacked Mikey Keene seven times for 65 yards. So either way, like you either took those 65 yardage off the passing game total or off the running game. It's still impressive nonetheless. And it's not like they got gashed on the ground either. I mean, their longest, they gave up a 14 yard run, a 15 yard, but I mean, I don't know, like not, that wasn't why ASU was losing the game. Like it was because Keene was completing passes, uh, most again short passes for the most part, other than one uh, touchdown. But like I'm sorry, like I am, the, like the defense has not been the issue this year. It was not the issue against Oklahoma State at all, and even against Southern Utah, it wasn't an issue either because. One of those touchdowns was a block punt, so you know I I I'm impressed by the defense, and I'm impressed. I, I again, Coach Brian Ward, like he's done a good job. He's done a good job, and anytime you get seven sacks, like that's a fantastic six sacks. It is. Uh, that's a great day for the defense, man. I mean, Fresh Prince Dorba. Another wonderful ESPN video that goes off. Prince Dorabot, two sacks. Roe Torrance, two cornerback sacks. I love that. Uh, Shamari Simmons, a sack. And then uh, two other guys got a half sack, uh, Josiah Cox and Deshaun Mallory. So I love seeing that, man. Like that was the if, – if we're talking about, you know, a silver lining of an absolutely atrocious game, that would be it. And – there's a lot of talk of, oh, has ASU won its only game of the year? Are they going to go 1-11? and I just I just don't – I don't see ASU going 1-11 and with a defense that is – I'm not going to say this good because I don't expect them to, like, sh- shut down USC or anything, like or shut down Washington or Oregon or any of these really good teams that they play. But I do think they're competent. I think they are a very competent defense that – is gonna put up, give up some crooked numbers just because the offense just can't get out of its own way and you know punts the ball super quickly or turns the ball over and you know deep in deep their own territory or something. I mean, I, to to give up twenty nine points when your team turns it over eight times, that there has some of those old NFL defenses. You know, I'm a Seahawks fan and before I was born the 1992 Seahawks like they had the worst offense in the league and the best defense. (laughs) I'm not, ASU isn't that, but it's that, it feels like that type of team right now. Uh, And that's, you know, again, that's a little bit of a criticism of Dillingham and that the offense, like we all expected the offense to be decent, you know, and it's like, it's a criticism of Dillingham. It's also an acknowledgement of just like the injuries. I mean, if you get cluster injuries at a already position of uh, weakness, you know, like there is some, there's not like next man up can only go so far in that scenario. You know, I always, I always chuckle at the next man up mentality because like, obviously it does make sense, but there is a line that gets crossed where there's no, you can't next man up, you know, eventually your next man up being a walk on. And so we can talk about effort and being, you know, playing smart and all that, but like that only gets you so far when you're a walk-on on on the field or whatever, like a extremely young offensive lineman or something like that. Like there's, there's only so far all that can go. Uh, So, I mean, depth charts are made for a reason. Um, And ASU is proving that. (laughs) Uh, So I don't expect you know, my it's weird. I'm gonna get into a gambling talk here, but like my hope with ASU is just that like they cover the spread, and you know they could get blown off the field and still cover the spread because USC's like I've seen some places that are like a 33 and a half point favorite, and you know I'd love to be like oh ASU's gonna cover that spread obviously, but like eh, I don't know man like if if it's what if ASU's a 33 and a half point underdog and they Say they lose 56 to 21. Well, USC covered the spread. So uh, it's – that's where we're at. And I really wish – as a fan, I would much rather have the Cal game this week at Cal than hosting USC. But anyway, to round all that out, like the reason why I don't think ASU is going to go 1-11 and is because the defense – is competent. I'm not going to go so far and say that they're like good, but they are solid. Uh, And the reason why I get why people are saying they can go 1-11 is because their schedule is so much tougher than anyone thought it would be entering the season just because the Pac-12, you have teams like Wazoo and Colorado being much better than anyone thought. Now that we've seen a little bit more of Cal, Cal is starting to look more like what I thought the type of team they would be. But that doesn't mean ASU is going to win when it goes and plays at Cal. Like Cal still is Jade not. They still put up 58 points on North Texas. So, you know, I, I'm just saying they could win that game. I think they could beat U of A in the Territorial Cup. Maybe guys get healthy by then. I mean, Jane Delora continues to be a very turnover-prone quarterback. Like that hasn't changed. And other than that, I don't know. Like (laughs) maybe the only reason I throw out Colorado is because they went to double overtime with Colorado State. So and I don't know how how deep they are as a team, but that even then, that still feels unlikely just because Colorado will have such an advantage of quarterback. So who knows? But I I don't think this team's gonna go one and eleven. I don't. But but I understand. Like, I'm not being like, Oh, you're a bad fan. If you think they're no, like I, I get it. Like they just got shut out at home by Fresno state, a Fresno state team, by the way, who is good. They're a good team, but they also gave up, uh, what? 35 points to Purdue and 31 points to Eastern Washington. So like, it's not like it's some elite defense. It's not (laughs) like ASU. It was a lot of ASU getting in its own way, you know, like, if Drew Pine just gets sacked and doesn't fumble, then maybe this game has a different trajectory to it. So it's frustrating. It's really frustrating that we're at this spot. You know, there's, it's, it's just, it, I don't know. It feels like, it just feels like there's, you need some kind of lucky break to get out of this muck that the program is in. Um, the people up top don't seem to care. And that is what really bothers me because I I know you can be mad about certain things that Dillingham has done. For example, hiring Bo Baldwin. Uh, Clearly that hire hasn't been a home run because you wouldn't be shifting play calling duties after three games if it was a smashing success. But if you're Dillingham, you have to do it. Like, you know, throw continuity out the window. I don't care. It's you have to have a better product on the field than what it's been. So, you know, it, maybe it won't look great, but I mean, if ASU gets to like 21 points against USC and I know that USC's defense isn't that great, but I mean, ASU could, again, they got shut out by Fresno state. So 20, if they get to like 21 points, I don't want to say like, Oh, I'll be happy, but like, I'll be more encouraged looking at it through the prism of how is this going to affect ASU the rest of the season. That makes sense. So they just need, in order to be like a, again, like I said, earlier in the show, like look like an actual college football team, even a bad one. They just need the offense. They just, it cannot be this bad. And there's, I'm sorry. Like I get that Jalen Conyers wasn't playing last game, but I'm sorry. Like he's a good player. He's not that good. He's not, you know, a 14 point difference. And they did try getting the ball to Badger but didn't, didn't work. I don't know. It wasn't, he had three catches for 26 yards. Like, I don't know. Kyson uh, Brown showed some flashes. I see that Melquan Stova had one catch for 31 yards. I I didn't leave the game early, uh, so I didn't see that, but, and then Camp Skadabo didn't do a lot on the ground. Can't blame him, but one catch for 11 yards. He needs to be a part, a much bigger part of the passing game when USC comes to town. He has to be a much bigger part because they may not be able to run the ball against USC. You know, again, this line can't get any push. So USC's defense may not be that great, but those guys up front are still, you know, were really high rated high school recruits at one point. So like, it's it's not going to be easy. And that's why they, they have to get Scatterbow involved in the passing game. And he's he's a good receiver as well. This It's not uh, unnatural for him to do that either. So I've also uh, – you know, Cartman's going on about uh, having – incorporating a lot of motion into the game. I, I love that idea. You know, I mean, anything anything offensively that you can do to gain some type of an edge, to get one more first down, to, you know, get one extra yard, whatever it may be, it all has to go into this game. You know, it just does. So I, you know, I'm just – Uh, uh, I don't know. It's sad because it's like, you know, as an ASU fan, you know ASU is going to lose. You know that they're going, not only they're going to lose, they're going to get blown out. It's just what type of blown out is it? Like, is it 42 to nothing at half type of blowout? And then you just kind of, you know, do, you know, just run out the string for the rest of the game? Or is it like 28-7 at half? which would still be bad, obviously, <laughs> but it's just a little bit more respectable, I guess. I mean, it's a, it's a 21 point difference than 42 to nothing, uh, you know, but that's where we're at. Like, we're like, okay, they're going to get blown out. What type of blowout will it be? What will the difference be? Will they actually cover a 33 and a half point spread that's usually reserved for, you know, power five teams playing FCS teams. <laughs> so I mean, ASU hasn't covered the spread in any of its three games so far. So when you look at it that way, and I know I just praised the defense. If the defense forces one punt or, you know, fourth, you know, stops them on fourth down in the first half, that is a win. That is a win. 100%. Because... You know, look. I, I maybe one of these safety blitzes, corner blitzes. Maybe one of them Williams doesn't expect it. But man, like he can just run away. And just, you know, like <laughs> he's gonna be the number one pick in the draft. He's a great player. Like it. It just feels like that's just this feels like a this would be better reserved for like a preseason high school practice between the six, eight team in Arizona. That's, you know, like a Chandler red mountain type of team or uh, not Red Mountain. I don't know. One, of, one of the powerhouse high schools in Arizona uh, versus like some team from like Flagstaff where it's like, Hey, we're going to play them. We'll see how we match up. You know, there's no, no pressure, whatever <laughs> we're going to lose. Cause they have better players, but you know, we'll, we'll at least get some reps in. It's like, that's kind of how this game feels. So you know i don't really have uh, in terms of a score prediction 56 21 feels about right uh, it does so that's fun <laughs> and i wouldn't i wouldn't blame the, you know i wouldn't really change my opinion on the defense because of that you know so that's where we're at in ASU football land but i saw some things later this week It just got me upset. I'm going to share my screen here. So this is Ralph Amston, who was on the show prior to the season. This was posted September 17th. I do not know what day September 17th was, but it doesn't really matter. I think it was the Sunday after the game. And this is Ralph's tweet. It's a screenshot of a Ray Anderson like that is apparently real. It's not fake. Ray Anderson getting on Twitter just to ignore the three million angry mentions and like former colleagues bear down tweet, LMFAO. And what it is is at Sun Devil Ray, one of his likes is Scotty Graham, which is, I don't know who that is, someone who works at U of A. And it's College sports top donors, according to USA Today, and uh, it's probably U of A getting more money. Ray, whose fault is that? Whose fault is that? It's your job to get people to donate. You're, you, as an athletic director, you that is your purpose is to get money for the athletic department. And now you're being like, oh, well, U of A, they're doing it much better. It's like, well, maybe that's because. You've alienated a good portion of the fan base and you made a terrible hire that set the program back and you didn't recognize it until it was too late because you wanted to give your buddy every possible chance to succeed. And it all culminated in a freaking loss to Eastern Michigan last year. So you're, I don't know, maybe, maybe Ray Anderson is only still employed by ASU just so Michael Crow has a punching, you know, someone to absorb the, punches from the fan base, but (laughs) it's just unacceptable behavior. I mean, how just unacceptable. I mean, if you're Michael Crow and you see that your athletic director is liking a, you know, U of A people's stuff about how they're getting more money, like what, who's already been doing not a good job, by the way, in the eyes of everyone else, but Michael Crow, apparently That's what's so frustrating is like, it just feels like the light at the end of the tunnel is further away than it should be much further away because the people at the top clearly just don't care about ASU football the way that they should, you know, they don't. And you have, you know, Chris Cartman, really interesting interview on Bickley and Murata. That would have been Tuesday He says, best thing to happen to ASU football or ASU athletics is for Ray Anderson to not be there. I agree. He also says he's spoken with several, quote, prominent boosters who aren't giving money to ASU until Ray Anderson is not employed. So, you know, I I have an interesting reaction to that because... For one, it shows that Ray Anderson is literally holding this entire athletic program back. Like, it just does. Like, you need more money for NIL, everything, and you're not getting it because of one guy. Now, is there a little part of me that is like, hey, rich donors, it would be great if you just still gave anyway because, like, ultimately all these losses still count. Who knows how long Ray Anderson is actually going to be there, and this will help, you know, programs. So like, even if you don't like the guy running your favorite program, it's still your favorite program and they need money. But that's only like 10% of my brain. The rest of it's like, okay, Michael Crow, why is he still here? Like, what has he done? Football, not again, worse than when he took over. Just absolutely 100% worse. There's no, no argument. Basketball, you know what? I'll give him credit. Hurley has turned out to be a decent hire. Baseball, nope. Nope, not at all. You stuck with Tracy Smith late, way too long, and the program is—they should have made the tournament last year, but they're still climbing out of it. Women's basketball, no, not at all. They went winless in Pac-12 play this past year. So, you know, those—you know—those are the biggest sports that people pay attention to. We can, you know, I get the ASU volleyballs having a great year; like they deserve credit. Like the swim team's great, men's golf is great. Softball had a good year, two years ago. That's all fantastic. Like I'm not disparaging those, but in the world of reality, you can't just be like, oh, we have a great volleyball team and a great, you know, softball team every once in a while. So our athletic department is doing great. It's like, no, like people, you need to be care about football, man. You just have to. And the problem is they do care about football, but they think they can outsmart everyone. Oh, if we do it, the NFL model, then... That's going to bring in a bunch of five-star recruits because Herm Edwards is the coach, and their dad might have seen him on NFL Live 10 years ago. Like, yeah. I remember when I was at ASU, still as a student reporter, and there was word of Herm Edwards being the future hire. I asked some of the players. Uh, remember Kobe Williams, number 10? Great player. He one of the most underrated Sun Devils, I'd say, in the last 10 years. I mean, he wasn't like a future NFL guy, but like, he was a good, like number three receiver, man. Like he was a good player. And I remember asking him like, Hey, like, what's your familiarity, familiarity with Herm Edwards. He was like, "I, I don't watch ESPN. Like, I, I know the name, but like, I don't, I don't watch NFL countdown whatever show like no Gen Z, anyone who they were recruiting doesn't give a blank about Herm Edwards. Okay. He's not, it's not like he's Deion Sanders where he has just charisma and he's just clearly a better coach too, by the way. So it's just, that is just like, there's literally like, honestly, it's crazy that that this solution is so simple. It's so simple. It's literally staring everyone in the face, the entire fan base, knows what the problem is. The donors obviously know what the problem is. And Ray Anderson, the second highest paid AD in all of college sports, which is insane. Insane. It's This is coming from taxpayer money. Oh, okay. I don't know. I actually don't know if his salary is from taxpayer money. But, so that might not be 100% true. I will... Say that, but he is a public employee as he is a state public employee, that is 100% for certain. And it's he's just doing a bad job. And no, and the it's not that nobody seems to care, everyone cares, but the guy who's his boss doesn't care. And there's no better example of Michael Crow having his head shoved up his ass than this tweet I am going to share. On my screen. Now do it again. All right. On the screen now. Oh, whoops. These are the replies to it. On the screen now is ASU bragging about how it is number one in innovation for what? The ninth, the ninth year in a row. On its surface, that's fine. Like that's something they should be proud about. Being ahead of MIT and Stanford and all that, like, that is, that is a good thing for the school. But how this was worded made my blood boil. ASU, repeatedly ranked number one in areas that matter, has landed at the top of another list again. All right, Michael Crow, everyone knows you're responsible for the way that's worked, okay? Everyone knows. Look, repeatedly ranked number one in areas that matter. I'm not trying to argue that Michael Crow's number one job should be administering the, the athletic department. Okay. I get that that should not be his number one priority, the number one thing he cares about. I understand all of that. And I also understand that he's generally done a good job, a really good job as the school president at his ASU. Like, There's no argument against that. The problem is he's done too good of a job, that he has all this power and when it comes to athletics, he's just, he's just happy with everything being on fire. Apparently he doesn't give a fuck. And I just don't understand it because you can have, you can, I don't know if you know this, Michael Crow. It's actually 100% possible for a school to be a good school and also be good at sports. I know, you know, maybe some football players bullied you at Iowa state 40 years ago or whatever it is, but It's actually really possible. It's extremely possible. The University of Georgia is considered a better academic school than ASU. And they just won two national titles. So in in football, not in women's triathlon. So I just, this both can be done. But when you have a tweet that says rank number one in areas that matter, It's just it's 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 it sounds like Michael Crow talking down to alumni slash fans, but alumni being like, oh, you may be mad about the football team, but we're number one in innovation again. So who cares? You you plebes, You you care about football. It's like, yeah, dude. We do. Okay, There's not a there's not a 50,000 seat stadium at ASU's campus for the chemistry lab or the history department. Everyone, people understand that those are the main missions and goals of a school, but people also like the athletics that are associated with their school as well. And the fact that I have to explain this is, again, I'm not, I'm not some, I'm not capable of running a school, a, a university. A part of me thinks I'm capable of running an athletic department because Ray Anderson is still running an athletic department. So maybe I could do that, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't be a good one. Although I'd probably still be better than him. Um, It's just, it's so frustrating when the team that you care for, that you care about, the leadership clearly doesn't care at all. And it's not that they don't care. It's like they're like laughing at the fans for being upset that they're bad. That's what bothers me. if, If you just don't care, again, I would, you would still be upset. Don't get me wrong. But it's, it's not like, oh, you're upset that we're bad at football and we completely wasted a hire hiring Herb Edwards when no one else was ever going to hire him. Uh, you, you're just, I mean, you're just not intelligent enough to know that we have, we're number nine or number one in innovation for nine years in a row. Cool, bro. Do I, do I get paid more on my next paycheck because ASU is number one in innovation? Do I get any tangible value in my life? Any, no, guess what? When ASU wins football, I'm not saying it like changes my life, but it makes my weekend better. It does, it has it has a small tangible impact on my life. Anything that ASU, like all the research, that like all of that, like that's important. And again, it, in the grand scheme of things, it is more important than football, but it doesn't mean that you can just let football just rot and become a smelling carcass. The football and revenue generating sports, just become a rotting carcass and be like, oh, you, why do you guys even care about that? Like, you know, all my professor friends, they don't care about that at all. But I don't know, maybe you're just not smart enough to understand that our academics are better than they used to be. And again, like, that's good. Like, it's good that they are. I'm not saying that, but it just really frustrates me. And the other thing is, oh, you're bragging about being innovative? Okay, great. Like, there's no... Who, oh, it's not like ASU is actually moving up to being. It's not like ASU is like a top fifty school and then all these rankings, and it never will be because you keep admitting so many people. It's impossible for that to be the case when you have so many people coming in, which is fine. That's one of that's one of the reasons I love going to ASU because it felt like, you know, you're interacting with a more representative slice of the actual human population than you would at like an elite school you know i i have a friend who went to santa clara and like he was telling me that every like everyone was rich and you know so it's like i would rather go to asu and interact with more normal people but like when you you can't have it both ways you can't be an ivy league school you can't like pretend you you want to be an ivy league school but then also admit like 50,000 freshmen every year that's not how it works it, you know so <laughs> It's just, it's like, congrats on being number one in innovation. It's a completely nebulous stat. So, like, cool. Like, again, my life isn't impacted at all in that. And by the way, 95% of the people on campus, the students, their lives aren't changing either. That's the other thing. So, yeah, it's just, it just shows, it's just a perfect little window, a perfect little window into how the people up top care about the fans, care about the boosters too. Like those are the people who actually have money that can have some sway. They don't care about them either. And now you're not getting their money. And guess what? It's just going to, it's just a doom loop, especially in the NIL era. So it, it just blows my mind. I mean, it's just another example of just trying to outsmart the room and not admitting when you're wrong. And it's, it's a life lesson, honestly, but, I mean, I'm just so glad we got into the Big 12. Like, I am so glad that Michael Crow's whatever is arrogance, it's a good word, didn't cost us going to the Big 12. And it probably almost did from the way it played out. But because if it, it, it like, it is very believable. Again, it, this didn't actually happen. It is believable that he just would have been like, oh, you know what? We, we're we going to stick to our academic values and we're going to stay in the pack five is what it would have been. And that'll show them all those crazy rabid people in the middle of the country who aren't smart, blah, blah, blah. It's like, dude, like, you just don't get it, man. You don't get it when it comes to sports. And the other, okay, this is the last thing I'm going to say is having a really awesome football program will make the school more money, more money. I know you care about that. I know that you do, because you're selling all the land around ASU to have all these cookie cutter gentrified apartments. So you clearly care about money on that end, but when it comes to more money in terms of people being in downtown Tempe more often, People more people coming to the school for the football program. Just more people being in the stands, buying refreshments at the game. All of that means more money, more prominence for the front porch of your school. The front porch. Well, right now the front porch has a dead cat rotting on it, and there's an active wasp nest. And there's, you know, a piece of... <laughs> A bag of dog poo that's been lit on fire By some local kid That's what's going on at the front porch of a- ASU right now When it comes to its football team So it. I mean Just that that tweet from ASU Because again There's no way I, I just don't believe that some social media Whoever's running their social media ASU would would type out ASU comma Repeatedly ranked number one in areas that matter has landed at the top of another list that's not being written out by the social media person who's making 45k per year that's that is coming from someone up top and when you say rank number one in areas that matter you're clearly indicating that you don't think asu football matters so showing yourself on that all right done with that um just in terms of the football game this weekend, I am hoping for ASU offense to just look more functional. If they could get to like 28 points, that would be awesome. It wouldn't, you know, have any sort of impact on them winning the game, but it's the last time USC is coming to town. I, you know, I don't know. I don't even have any feelings on that. I'm not, I don't, I'm not really going to miss them. Honestly. Like I know some fans, are just like, oh, we're gonna miss. I'm gonna miss playing USC. I don't really care. I don't. I you know, we're going to the Big 12. It sucks, but that's what's happening. And so I, I'm just not worried about it from that sense. But for a lot of people, it'll be sentimental. So hopefully ASU doesn't give them a complete, uh, absolute terrible game like they did last time. All right. Well, thank you for watching to the dozens of you who are. Uh, And as always, go devils.